as we are anxious and distracted by many things, we pray that now you would help us to hear your word and be changed by it and focus on you and you alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. A good friend of mine is a pastor at a church where there was a group of people who had been serving the Sunday morning coffee for years. And they had done great service around this, but they were tired and it was time for a new group to volunteer. So a new group of people volunteered to take over the task. And the old coffee servers were really happy about that until the new servers decided to do things differently. Right? How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change, right? Some of the choir hadn't heard that one before. So instead of serving coffee in China, in good China, they, they put the coffee out, they made the coffee, put it out with some styrofoam cups and let people help themselves. And the old servers just went ballistic about this. They said, that is not the right way to serve coffee in church. Okay, I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. Missed that part, the coffee serving part. They said the only right way to serve coffee in church is in good china, and you have to put the cup on the saucer before you pour the coffee, then pour it, and then hand it to the person who's waiting. That's how you serve coffee in church. Now you know. And this turned into such a big argument that the pastor ended up in 15 hours worth of meetings to resolve the great theological crisis of how to serve coffee in church. Thank you so much <laughs> that you never do that to me. Things that give pastors nightmares. You don't do that. I mean, their, their intentions were great, but it just seems they were being a little fussy, don't you think? I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting nice ambiance in church. That's great. But, but the old servers were focused on a relatively minor issue, the coffee, and kind of missing the more important thing, like relationships with each other, which were getting wrecked by this argument. And there's a similar dynamic in the story that we read today where Jesus is having dinner with two sisters, Mary and Martha. And while Martha is busy in the kitchen cooking and cleaning, her sister Mary just sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. Martha gets upset that Mary's not helping, so she says to Jesus, make her help. And then Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. Don't know why he said her name twice. Maybe because she wouldn't stop talking. I don't know. You know. Martha, Martha. You're anxious about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. Now, I know that we're not supposed to disagree with Jesus and all, but how many of you think that Martha has a point and that Mary should get up off her backside and do some work in the kitchen? Right? Every woman in this place is like this, I hate this story. Right? My wife hates this story. Right? She goes, it's all nice for Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus, but someone's got to cook the dinner, right? And I'm sure many of you have heard this preached before, and it's usually held up as an example of doing versus being. I want to look at it a little differently today. I don't think the issue here is that Martha is doing something wrong. She's not. She was doing a good thing. She was serving, and Jesus calls us to be servants. And she was providing hospitality, which, which was a very high value in that culture. She was doing a good thing. But she made a couple mistakes. One was she was trying to force Mary to serve in the same way she served, not knowing that we all have different gifts and skills. 
But I think the real issue for Martha is focus. She was focused on the wrong things. She had focused on the smaller thing, the dinner, and missed the bigger thing that was happening. Jesus was in her house. God himself in human form in her house. That's a big deal. And here's a chance to get closer to him and learn from him and along the way maybe even build a better relationship with her sister. But she misses all of that important stuff because she's focused on a kind of a minor thing. Ever do that? Maybe not, but it's a sermon and I have to ask a rhetorical question. So, (laughs) Ever get focused on a relatively minor issue and miss the more important thing? Do you ever do that? I know a married couple who continually fight over where to store the remote control when it's not in use, on top of the TV or in a cabinet drawer. Now, we all know it should be on top of the TV, (laughs) right? But nonetheless, it's a relatively minor issue, right? But if we get all focused on it and if we start fighting about it, then it wrecks the really important thing, which is the relationship. And I think that's Martha's problem. Her fixation with dinner keeps her from looking at the really important thing, her relationship with Jesus and with her sister. With my kids, I know I can just fixate on some little part of their behavior, how they dress, how they talk, some little thing. I'll just focus on that when the bigger issue is what kind of people are they becoming? What's my relationship with them like? I used to work in an office where if someone made a typo or misplaced a file, the boss would just go crazy. He'd explode. And even though we, were, we always completed our projects on time and we were working together as a team, he missed those big things because he was focused on the smaller thing. Or look at birthday parties on the east side. Fascinating sociological studies, those. <laughs> Ever been to one where the parents get so fussy about every little detail turning out just right that, that everyone's miserable as they sing happy birthday, right? Happy birthday. They miss the bigger picture which is to make their kid feel loved. Fussiness and focusing on the minor things in life robs us of joy because it keeps us from paying attention to what really matters. It's one of the devil's favorite tricks. Look at this instead of the big thing. And when it comes to our relationship with God, focusing on minor things can be devastating because when we do, we miss out on experiencing his power and his joy in real ways in our lives. And that's what we see in the other story we read, where Jesus heals a man who's been lame for 38 years. And the man picks up his mat and he begins to walk. But then the religious leaders of their day, always problems, religious leaders, right? Religious leaders of his day, they see this and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to carry your mat. Anything weird about that sentence to you? (laughs) I mean, yes, according to religious tradition back then, you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, including carrying a mat. But, I mean, really, here's a man who has not walked for 38 years, suddenly walking, and you're worried about a mat? I mean, majoring in the minor things of life, don't you think? But here's the tragedy. They missed the miracle. I mean, it was right in front of them. They saw it, but they missed it. They missed experiencing Jesus' power because they were fussing about a religious tradition. Tony Campolo tells a story of being a guest preacher in a church, and after the service, a man came up to him and said, Preacher, you had three grammatical errors in your prayer today. And Tony said, That's okay. I wasn't talking to you anyway. (laughs) 
that man missed a great opportunity to connect to God in prayer because he was focused on grammar. Right now, grammar is important, but you know, Shakespeare invented 500 words that were considered grammatical errors in his day because language is always evolving and the point is to communicate effectively in your culture, not follow some ever-changing set of rules, but I'm digressing and getting fussy, so let me move on. In our faith life as Christians, sometimes we just have a habit of focusing on the wrong things. When and how to baptize people, what kind of music in church, stuff like that. And those things are important. They are important. But they aren't the most important. And it's not just theological things we get fussy about. I know I can sometimes get so focused on church work and the details of that work that I forget the reason for it which is knowing Jesus and being part of what he's doing in the world. Or I get so focused on some little problem I have in my life, and I just fixate on it. And I get worried, how come God isn't doing what I want him to do? And I miss the bigger things that God is doing in my life, growing my character, helping me know him more. And yes, God cares even about the littlest details in our lives. I just preached about that. But what we're to do is to bring those little things to him in prayer and leave them there and not fixate on them. But I think the reason that we tend to get just a little fussy and and just kind of focused on the smaller things, I think the reason we do that comes down to one word. Control. We want control. We want control of our environment, control of other people. We want to even control God. But all that fussiness wrecks our relationship with Him because we don't see His power, wrecks our relationship with others because we're fighting about stuff that doesn't matter, and it wrecks us. Just like Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. We get anxious when our focus is on the things that are not eternal. And our world gets smaller and smaller. And when our world is small, everything in it seems big. Right? When your world is small, everything in it seems big. I told you several years ago about a friend of mine who, who got a dog. And, and his next-door neighbor complained that the dog barked, so... My friend kept the dog in the house all day, only let it out briefly and put it back in the house. The neighbor still complained. My friend said, there's no way you can hear this dog barking. It's in the house all day. The neighbor said, oh, I don't hear it bark, but I know it's there, and that bothers me. That's what happens when we get focused on the little things. Our world becomes smaller and smaller, and we get tied up in knots over things that ultimately don't matter. But Jesus longs for us to experience more than that. Jesus longs for us to share in a dynamic relationship with him. He longs for us to experience his spirit changing us and guiding us and to be part of the big adventure of partnering with him in redeeming this world. He wants us to be part of that exciting thing. And in the story about Mary and Martha, Jesus gives us two questions that we can ask ourselves when we're getting just a little fussy that can break us out of fussiness. And the first question is this, what is the main thing? Jesus says to Martha, you're anxious about many things, but only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the better thing. In other words, many things are good, but what is the best thing? Many things are important, but what is the most important thing? Martha is doing a good thing. Cooking the food is important, but is, is it the most important thing at this particular moment, in this particular time? Is it the most important thing? Is it the main thing? I, mean, I don't know about you, but if Jesus were to come to my house, you know, I'd want to show him hospitality, but I wouldn't want to spend too much time doing that because I've got a long list of questions I'd like to ask. I don't want to waste time on some big meal, so I'd probably whip up some PBJ and be done with it. 
The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So in our relationships with our spouses or coworkers or friends, we've got to ask the question, what's the main thing? Where to store the remote? Whether or not the neighbor's shrub is two feet over our property, property line, is that the main thing? Or is the main thing uh, deep growing relationships with each other? In our relationship with God, what's the main thing? How we serve coffee, whether we baptize infants or adults or do it by sprinkling or dunkling, dunking, dunkling, I don't know what that is, <laughs> dunking. See, I'm Presbyterian, we don't even do it, we can't even pronounce the word, right? That's the main thing, or is the main thing getting closer to Jesus and becoming like him? Now, I want to be clear. It's not that theology doesn't matter. It matters. And where Scripture is clear on various issues, we need to be clear and consistent on those issues. But where Scripture is a little less clear, let's not fuss about it. Let's not focus on it. A good question to ask ourselves is in this relationship, in this situation, in my relationship with Christ, What is the main thing? Help me focus there, Lord. And what is the main thing from Jesus' perspective? Not mine. Because mine might be wrong. And I think the way we figure that out is through the same three things I always say. And I hope I sound like a broken record. I intend to. Because I want them to sink in. How do we figure out what God thinks is the main thing in any situation? Scripture, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. Scripture, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. The more familiar we are with the Bible, the more we know what God's priorities are. And the more we pray, the more we learn how to hear God's voice. And the more we learn to recognize those nudges that come from the Holy Spirit, the more we will know the mind of God. In other words, in order to have focus on the right things, we need Jesus. And let me give you a hint. Here's a hint. From Jesus' perspective, the main thing always comes down to one word. Relationship. Relationship with Him and with each other. So if, like me, you find yourself kind of focused on a fussy little detail, ask yourself this question, what is the main thing? The second question Jesus gives us in this story that gets us out of fussiness and being focused on the trivial things, second question is, what is truly needful? What is really needed in this situation? A friend of mine once said a very wise thing to me about life. He said, there are times in life when you need to prepare a 10-course meal And there are times in life when a can of soup will do. And I know that doesn't sound very profound, but it can change your life. Because here on the east side, we are so performance-driven that we have a tendency to overdo everything, don't we? Birthday parties, coaching, church work, our jobs, everything. It's got to be done perfectly and over the top. But there are times when what you need is a 10-course meal, and other times all you need is a can of soup. And our job is to figure out which is which. As my wife and I were talking about this passage, she showed me a note in her Bible that said that in Jesus' day, all that was needed to show hospitality was one dish, not several. I just love commentators because they just clear things right up, don't they? In other words, Martha's problem was she should have brought a casserole. (laughs) Don't need all these things. You just, you know, one thing. She was overdoing it. Jesus was trying to say you don't have to work so hard. You really don't. Not all the time. Now, if it were a different event, perhaps a wedding, something like that, well, then you need the 10-course meal. Because the point of that is to celebrate and live large. But not everything has to be done perfectly and over the top. 
So, just to practice, just to practice. Tonight, for dinner, invite some friends over, invite some family over, open a can of soup, and just have a good time together. You've got my permission. Tomorrow, at work, don't return an email. Just don't return one email. One email, pick it, right? Make some small mistake. Say, my pastor told me not to do it, right? I had to... Just to practice the art of the can of soup, right? In a culture where we feel it always has to be the 10-course meal. What is the main thing? What is truly needed in this situation? 10-course meal or a can of soup? Several years ago, during uh, one of our youth Sundays, we had about 10 youth up here leading us in worship. And they were all sitting up here on the chancel with me. One of them, one of the youth had brought in a cup of water. Well, there was a man in the congregation who saw it and he got annoyed. So he turned to his neighbor and said, I thought we had a rule. No water in the sanctuary so that we don't mess up the carpet and mess up the hymnals or something like that. So his neighbor gently pointed out that every Sunday I always carry in this giant bottle that's filled with water. Ever notice that? And she said, you know, Scott always has that big bottle filled with water, or or so you think that's what's in it, right? (laughs) I've actually had several people ask me, is that really water in that bottle or something else? And I have no idea what that says about the quality of my preaching, but... Man said, that's different. Scott has to preach. He needs the water for his voice. Besides, his bottle has a cap on it. Well, the, the, student, uh, the, the worship service went on, and the student with the cup of water happened to be from Eastside Academy, the school for at-risk youth that meets in our building. And this student gave his testimony about being an alcoholic and a drug user, but through Eastside Academy, he'd gotten off drugs and alcohol. He was graduating. Life was turned around, even getting interested in Jesus. It was just a very inspiring testimony. All of you gave him a standing ovation, which I think says a lot about you. That wouldn't happen in some churches. Well, after the service, this man who'd been worried about the water cup came up to me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, Scott, I am a small man. And I said, well, what do you mean? And then he told me the story about the water cup and what he'd said to his neighbor, but that when he heard the student's testimony, he was moved to tears by the power of Jesus in a person's life. And, and, and he, said, there, there, you know, he said, there I was, worried about this little water cup when God was up to something so much bigger. I missed the whole point. I am a small man. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, no, you're not. You are a very big man. Because we all get focused on the wrong things from time to time. But it takes a big man to realize that and lift his eyes to God and the bigger things that God is doing, and it takes a very big man to admit his mistakes. And you know what? For me, as inspiring as as that student's testimony was, and it was, the thing I remember most from that Sunday is that man's humble confession. Because it showed me the power of Jesus to turn us around, not just in the big things like drug addiction, but turn us around when we get all fussy, just like I do, about some little thing that ultimately isn't eternal. After he told me the story, the man went into the narthex, found that student. They had a long conversation about Jesus and the church. It was a great day for both of them. Now, of course, we want to keep the sanctuary looking nice, absolutely. And and I will always keep the cap screwed on tight on my water bottle. Just to reassure some of you, if you're a little worried about that, it's on now, right? But as long as he was focused on a relatively small thing, this man was agitated, angry, anxious. But when he switched his focus to Jesus, 
turned his eyes upon Jesus. And what Jesus cares about, relationship with God, relationship with each other, when he turned his eyes to Jesus and those things, this man experienced God's power through the student's testimony, but more importantly, he experienced God's power directly, God changing his heart. And he and I got closer as he shared his story with me. He had a great conversation with that student that made that student feel loved and accepted in this church in spite of that student's background. And this man got the joy of knowing that he was a part of showing this student the love of God. Not bad for one one one-hour Presbyterian worship service. All because he moved his eyes from the fussy little things that the devil would distract us with and turned his eyes upon Jesus. And then the things of this world grew strangely dim. And he began to care about what God cares about. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. So where's your focus been lately? Where's your focus been lately? On the big things or is the devil distracting you with something? You know, we all have a tendency to major in the minor things of life. I know I do. So this week, in your job, in your relationship with friends and family, and certainly with Jesus, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, show me from your perspective what is the main thing in this relationship, in this moment. Turn my eyes to you. And then you can lift your eyes from the fussy to the eternal, and our world will be expanded, and we'll experience the power of God as we become part of what he's doing in our midst. Lord Jesus, the old hymn says it best. Be thou our vision, Lord of our heart. Not be all else to us save that thou art. Lord, keep us away from those distractions that take us away from you. Thou and thou only, first in our hearts, high King of heaven, our treasure thou art. Amen.